I'd like to start by uh, thanking any of you that are here for the first time. Hope you feel comfortable. Hope this will become a habit that you look forward to each and every week. And for you that are with us online, uh, thank you very much. And we did a little research a while back, and we found that there's probably eight or ten more states that uh, show up online. So if you have some friends, wherever you're watching from, that you think might be interested, please pass that word on to them. Well, the series is called Journey to Destiny. And what we said last week in the first message is that each and every one of us has a God-given destiny. By the way, uh, you that have the power of, of temperature control, just blow the AC on me. <laughs> no one likes a kosher hot dog. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we said that um, this God-given destiny, it could be called our purpose, and we looked at Scripture, and we found that foundationally it teaches is that this life is not meant to just be a transportation event where we get from earth to heaven, but rather it's to be a developmental journey where we become the person who God created us to be and to do the things that he created us to do. That we become a heavenly people rather than just make sure we get to heaven. That we become the Christ-like version of ourselves and do those Christ-like things that God always intended and equipped only uniquely us to do. So that's what we're talking about when we say this journey to destiny. We also said that we're looking at one individual for this six-week period, and it's a man named Moses, and in his life, we can see some typical experience, typical developmental experiences that God takes most of us through in this developmental journey. So we're going to focus this week on the notion of expectations. Now, expectations and adjusting ourselves or adjusting our expectations, expectations are powerful things. Truth be told, some of us in this room right now are discontented in some areas of our life where, in fact, we would be contented if we were to adjust our expectations. Our expectations, in other words, are causing our discontent. Some of us are discouraged in areas of our life, and were we to perhaps adjust our expectations instead of being discouraged, we would instead be determined. We would recognize that God is trying to develop some resilience in us so that we can indeed be who we were meant to be and do what we were meant to do. So expectations are very powerful. And we thought we'd give you a little example today to show you how powerful expectations are. And this is one of these wonderful participatory moments that you wait for. You just can't wait to participate. I know this. And so, Howie, wherever you be, where be ha there he is. Even as I speak, Howie is bringing up our person from the audience who we are going to blindfold, very heavily blindfold. It truly is a heavy blindfold. I felt it. It's got like beads inside of it. It's one of those sleep blindfolds because we don't want this person to be able to see anything. And what we are going to do is take them. We're going to take them through a little bit of taste test. And uh, we're going to see how their tastes are molded or shaped by their expectations. Okay, are we ready, Howie? Uh, okay, okay. All right. To be, to be, to be perfectly fair, uh, I, I don't... You don't have to do this. You don't have to. You, but if you do, just swallow quickly. That's. Um, do, do you want to go through with it? Uh, 
Okay, all right, hold your nose maybe so you don't have to. Okay, open your mouth. <laughs> it was, you can take your mask off now. <laughs> it was not that bad, was it? No, but you thought it was. They had you prepared for something dreadful, like a, a snake sandwich or something. Yeah, okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, we're going to do this again sometime with a real snake sandwich. <laughs> a little bit different outcome, I'm sure. So expectations, I've already kind of hinted at the power of them. We're going to see in a minute in this message that uh, they are so powerful that unless we get an understanding of how to work with them, to adjust them instead of letting them control the way we feel, the way we think, the way we respond to things, it's going to be hard to reach our God-given destiny. And when I, when I talk about God-given destiny, I want to make something clear. The Scripture is very, very clear that God loves all of us just as we are. And that if we return to Christ our Creator in simple trust and become His followers, He forgives all of our sins. He gives us the gift of everlasting life. But because He loves us so much, though He accepts us as we are, He cannot possibly leave us as we are because His love necessitates that He help us develop and grow and be who it is that we were always meant to be to bear his image as we were always meant to bear but grace is open for anybody we we are accepted freely by God when we put our trust in Christ and become his follower then God starts to be able to work inside us so that we can get on this journey of destiny all right we're going to turn now in those Bibles that are near you on a chair to page uh, 65 it's the book of Exodus once again. We'll be spending our entire time in this series in the book of Exodus. Like I said, Moses is our main character. For you that need more knowledge on Moses, uh, rent the movie, The Ten Commandments. The old 1959 version is the only one to rent. <laughs> and you will understand that Charlton Heston is Moses <laughs> and no one else. All right. Um, in Exodus chapter 5, and let me give you a little background. You know, last week we saw where uh, Moses who had lived a pretty sedentary life for 40 years. He had been a shepherd for 40 years. Does anybody remember how old he was? 80. He was 80 years old, and God thought it's the perfect time for you to get busy with this purpose that I have, this unique purpose I have for your life. We're never too old unless we shut down and say no. So 40 of his first years, he was in Egypt as a prince, and then he committed a murder, had to flee, he then hides out in Midian as a shepherd for 40 years. He is an 80-year-old man. All he's done is chase sheep for 40 years. He probably doesn't say much to anybody about anything. And all of a sudden, God appears to him in the burning bush, calls him and says, Moses, I, I am so intensely aware of the agony of my people, the Israelites in Egypt, and how badly they're be being mistreated. They may not know that I feel this way. They may not know that I know and care, but I know and I care. And Moses, I want you to go, yeah, yeah, you, Moses, you're, yeah, even though you're 80 years old, even though you've just been messing with sheep for 40 years, even though you feel inadequate and unqualified and you're a bad speaker and all the stuff that Moses said, if you remember last week's message, I want you, I want you to go. And those with the power haven't yet turned on my air conditioning, so please do if you get a chance. So, now Moses has trusted God, and even though everything in him does not want to do this, he is afraid Let's face it, he's facing potential murder charges when he goes back to Egypt. He's afraid. He doesn't feel equipped. He, he doesn't feel that there's any way this can work, but he's going to do it simply because he trusts God. 
So let's pick up now in chapter 5. We're just going to read verse 1 and 2. And then we're going to jump to verse 17 through 19. Then later on in the message, we'll go back to Exodus again. So kind of keep your Bibles open uh, in that area. Here we go. It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Release my people so they may hold a pilgrim feast to me in the desert. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him by releasing Israel? I do not know the Lord, and I will not release Israel. Look, if you would, at verse 17. But Pharaoh replied, You're slackers, slackers. That is why you're saying, Let us go sacrifice to the Lord. So now get back to work. You will not be given straw, but you must produce, still produce your quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen saw that they were in trouble when they were told, you must not reduce the tally quota of your bricks. And we'll stop there. So here's Moses' first experience going to Pharaoh. And let's try to get this thing pictured aright in our minds. Pharaoh is the most powerful person on the planet at this time. Egypt is the ruling nation. And so here's this, this shepherd, this old man, this obscure man. No one knows who he is. No one where, knows where he's been. And on top of it all, he smells like that which disgusted Egyptians most, which was sheep. They hated shepherds. And this old man comes in smelling like sheep, and he's standing before the most powerful, sophisticated, probably one of the most intelligent individuals on the planet. And he has the audacity to say that, the Lord, some God that Pharaoh doesn't know. Now, the Egyptians had a panoply of gods and goddesses. But the Lord, the God of the Israelites, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was not included. He says, the Lord told me to tell you, let the Israelites go. Now, mind you, the Israelites were already experiencing a population explosion, a population explosion to the point that we read last week that the Pharaoh had said that all males born to the Israelites were to be taken to the Nile River and either drowned or eaten by crocodiles. They were trying to avoid the Israelites becoming so powerful that they could have a revolution. At the same time, Pharaoh kept them working just to the point of exhaustion, building the various Egyptian building projects, thinking again, you keep them broken down on the population level, you keep them tired and busy, they're not going to be a danger. So that, that's kind of the backdrop of this. So... Moses, this, this old man who's disgusting probably to Pharaoh in his appearance and in his smell, literally in his smell, he has the audacity to say, let go of your workforce. Pull the rug out from under your economic base, essentially, is what Moses was saying, and let these people go, and you can understand the reaction. I mean, he probably was irritated with Moses for a number of reasons. First of all, that he had the audacity to even, you know, waste his time. Why, why is this guy even here? Who, who, let, who gave this guy an appointment with me? I could hear uh, Pharaoh saying. And, and then we know that Moses acknowledged that he was slow of speech, which might have meant that he had a stuttering problem. And I can envision Pharaoh sitting here saying, will you, will you just spit it out? What are you trying to say to me? What, oh, you're going to, you're, the Lord, somebody I've never heard of, wants me to completely undo my economic foundation here. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be quick to do that. So Pharaoh obviously is not interested in hearing this at all. But for Moses, for Moses, what might this have felt like? I mean, remember the meeting. 
He gave five different reasons to God why he was the wrong choice to do this. He did not feel adequate whatsoever. So I'm going to assume that while Moses was having this conversation with Pharaoh, he was probably scared, really scared. He was not a speaker. He was not used to being in the limelight. He had lived in a kind of a serene fashion for the past 40 years of his life. He was not a good speaker. He was probably thinking, suppose this guy has heard about me and knows that I murdered an Egyptian 40 years ago. He, he could kill me at any time. Pharaoh was not a man that was used to having anyone tell him what to do. And here Moses was telling him what to do. And it was not something he wanted to hear. And I got to assume that Moses was probably very, very scared while he was serving the Lord. Probably felt very inadequate. This is a good starting point for us. Because the truth of the matter is this, is that sometimes when we get a vision, and that's where we started last week, Moses accepted the vision that God had for his life, and we accept the vision that I'm not only called to be restored to a trusting relationship with Christ my creator, but I'm actually called to follow him and then to become like him, to actually develop, to change from the inside out, and then to take whatever learnings and abilities and skills and spiritual gifts I have in, and I'm to, to find that, that unique venue for me to invest my life in into something that's going to be eternal. And we may feel very, very inadequate for that. In fact, we may be so broken, so battered, so damaged that for a while all we can do is just start to, to lace kind of still and heal in God's grace, and that's okay. But most of us might be able to take a step or two, but it's not going to feel real easy. It's not going to feel real uh, comfortable to us at all. I'm sure Moses felt very, very out of place and uncomfortable standing in Pharaoh's court. So start of this whole business of uh, becoming who God meant us to become and doing what he meant us to do, it calls for adjusting our expectations. And we need, just like Moses needed, to expect circumstantial struggle and nobody likes struggle read something interesting from a pilot pat smith and i don't know about you i'm a guy i don't like roller coasters how many of you don't like roller coasters god bless you we're all of one tribe we're smart (laughs) the rest of them adrenaline junkies i don't know Um, but because i don't like roller coasters i also don't like airplanes and so I didn't even fly in an airplane. I avoided it until I was 45 years old. Then I kind of did a lot of flying for a while. Now I haven't flown in a long time. Not too interested in flying again. But, but the thing about flying, the thing about flying that I really, really hated, other than I couldn't control, you know what I mean? If I could do this and fly, I, I wouldn't be so bad. But, you know, you got to trust that big piece of steel up in the sky that makes no sense for that thing to stay up there. And the thing I hated the worst, though, can you guess what it is when you're up there? Turbulence, somebody said. Absolutely first time I experienced that, I was like, what the heck is this? It's like, what? The doggone wings are going to fall off this plane. You know, it's going to fly apart right now. I knew I shouldn't have got on this plane. Lord, why did you, why did you bring me up here to take me out? You know. <laughs> well, Patrick Smith, this pilot, uh, he says that is the number one fear of flyers is turbulence. And he says some interesting things alongside of it. He says that that the average flyer thinks that, oh my goodness, the plane is going to get spun around or it's going to get flipped upside down or literally the wings are going to start, you know, coming off of it or it's going to burst at its seams, but something dire is going to happen. Now he says, now here's the thing. He says every pilot absolutely expects turbulence. He says, and while the people are white-knuckling, 
they picture the pilot is up in the cockpit, you know, just dripping with sweat, barking orders. Okay, quick, we got to do something. You know, steer this way, steer that way. He says, in fact, here's what we're doing. We're up in the cockpit saying, hey, man, you had your orange juice yet? Uh, you want some coffee? Need creamer with that? They're, they're completely, completely calm because they know turbulence is not going to do any of those things that we're afraid it's going to do. And they know that turbulence is absolutely normal, almost unavoidable, although they do their best to avoid it for us. You know, they change altitudes and things so that we don't get scared. But because they, get this, because they expect turbulence, let's reframe it, struggle. What if I were to expect struggle anytime I'm doing something good and godly and right? What if I expected turbulence? Maybe, maybe it would start to give me not just a bit more calm, but if nothing else, a bit more determination. Listen to these words the Apostle Paul who was a man very familiar with turbulence in his life and very familiar with struggle in his life. The Spirit of God chose to use him to write 13 books of the New Testament. When you study his biography in the New Testament, you find this guy went through the ringer. He, he had multiple beatings, imprisonments, whippings, uh, even beaten with rods. Once he was stoned, they tried to kill him by stoning him. He was shipwrecked, bitten by a poisonous snake, and finally has his head cut off by Nero, the Roman emperor. So his life was full of struggle as he stayed faithful to fulfill his journey to destiny. Anyway, he writes to these Christ followers living in the city of Philippi, and he says, above all else, you must live in a way that brings honor to the good news about Christ. That's important for us to know, that our lives ought to bring honor to the message of Christ. But then he goes on to say this, then whether I visit you or not, I will hear that all of you think alike. I will know that you are working together and that you are, what is the word? struggling these are faithful followers of christ you are struggling side by side struggling with what to get others to what believe the what the good news he's saying you know i i know that now that you've been reconciled to god and you know the truth about god and the truth about life and he's at work in your heart you want others to know the truth about god too but he says it's going to be a struggle it's not going to be easy and i want you guys to stand together in this struggle to continue to try to get the truth about God and life to as many people as possible. Just curious, how many people in here right now, you've got some people in your life, maybe it's been years, decades, whatever, some people you really care about them. They're nice, they're maybe family members, boy, that AC feels really good now. You love them, and maybe they love you too, but to this point, they haven't been willing to be open to Christ to trust him and follow him but you want so much to see that happen but the truth be told up to this point it's been kind of a struggle can i just see your hands yeah that's the way it was in the first service too it's not easy it's not easy it's a struggle doing something for god and good is not easy here's another verse that paul the apostle shares with those living in corinth who were christ followers he says, so my dear brothers and sisters, stand strong. You don't have to tell somebody to stand strong unless there's something that's going to push them back from their steadfastness. He's saying, stand strong. Do not let anything move you. Always, that's a big word, always give yourselves how much? Fully. Two big words. Always fully to what? Always give yourselves fully to what? To the work of the Lord. Always give yourself to the work of the Lord. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Why on earth should we do that? that? That can be a struggle, Paul. Why? Because you know that your labor, or excuse me, you know that your work in the Lord is what? Never wasted. We're talking something that will count 
for eternally. First, it counts in us. It changes us. This struggle for God's will to be done on this earth. But then it does bring change into the life of some, at least others. Now I want to share real quickly with you four important truths about adjusting our expectations. Because we live in a world where the Pandora's box of evil has been opened, and that's just reality. Because evil exists today, there are certain conditions that anytime we're going to do something for God, anytime we're going to do something that's good, this is what we have to face. These are just realities like gravity. Reality number one, struggle without. I mean, circumstantial struggle. Struggle without is necessary. Settle it in your heart. If you're going to fulfill your divine given destiny, if you're going to be who God wants you to be and do what he wants you to do, just settle it in your mind. You're going to have to struggle circumstantially. Number two, struggle within is normative. You're not only going to have to struggle circumstantially without, you're going to have to struggle within yourself. We're going to look at a verse a little later in this message that shows about that. But just to give an example, how many of you have ever experienced a situation where you would have handled it a certain way in the past before you were a Christ follower, but now you're in the situation, and because you're a Christ follower, and you're aware of God's word and his will, and you know that you're supposed to handle it differently, you're in the situation, the emotion rises up quick, and all of a sudden, man, you find yourself in this internal battle. You know what you would have done, but now you know what you should do. How many of you have ever experienced something like that maybe recently? Yeah, that's that struggle within ourselves. That's normative. In fact, you're going to see that's actually healthy. Point number three, stress. <laughs> you're not going to like this. Stress is unavoidable. I know they're always trying to tell us, oh, man, you've got to avoid stress. You've got to avoid stress. It's going to kill you. It's going to give you a heart attack. Heart's going to attack you. You've got to avoid the stress. You've got to limit the stress. You can't. Stress Always has been, always will be until Christ returns, his kingdom comes, and his will done. The Pandora's box of evil is open, and so stress is unavoidable. Lastly, stress can be what? Do you believe that? It goes counter to everything that our society tells us. Our society says, oh, stress is bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's going to kill you, it's going to destroy you. Stress can be, can be, if we face stress in dependence on God with eyes open, understanding the way things actually are in society can be good. Listen to these studies from people that are not Christ followers. A lady named Kelly McGonigal. Any second, pew, there it is. If people actually embrace the concept of stress, embrace, some of you right now, you're just choking. Because truth be told, some of us this very week, I want to ask you to raise your hands. <laughs> Some of us have said something like, I can't take it. I just can't take it anymore. I, can't, I am so stressed out. I can't take it anymore. But you're still here taking it. <laughs> and that's good. But let's reframe it. If people actually embrace the concept of stress, it can make them what? Stronger. What else? Smarter. And you don't believe that one. You don't believe the happier. But it's true. Stress isn't always harmful, even though that's the message we've been getting, particularly the past 10 years. It's not always harmful. Let's look again. Dr. Aliyah Crum, viewing stress, viewing, now you gotta, this means we have to adjust our expectations, our thoughts about stress. Viewing stress as a, oh, some of you can't even say that, can you? Helpful, <laughs> helpful part of life. 
rather than as harmful is associated with better health, better health, emotional well-being, and productivity at work. See, all these years, man, I've been so full of snaking energy. I call it enthusiasm, but I guess I'm just stressed out and I don't know it. <laughs> it's work for me, man. Energy. <laughs> so let, it, let this sink in because this is so counterintuitive to what we are hearing uh, very often about stress, that, it, that it, can be, it can create better health and emotional well-being and productivity at work. Not our enemy. Look on again. The three most protective beliefs about stress are, first, and here we go, adjusting expectations, view it as a source of energy. That's where I get my energy from, I guess. View yourself as able to, so don't say those things we say to ourselves, like, I can't take any more of this stress, I can't take it, I'm just going to quit, I'm just going to run. I'm just, I'm just going to get in my car and drive until the gas tank is empty and go into some little town where nobody knows me and sell T-shirts for the rest of my life. That's what I used to think. Every time I get discouraged, I go through that little scenario. Of course, I never did it. View yourself as able to handle and even learn and grow from it. Recognize everyone deals with it. Everyone. We make these, these funny fantasies about other people. Look at them. They don't have any stress. I want to be like that. I want to go just live in the wilderness. Well, you're going to have stress there too. Polar bears are going to try to eat you. You can't get away from stress. <laughs> and one last thing, one last thing. People with very meaningful lives worry more and have more, what's the word? Stress. Than people with less meaningful lives. If you're going to, if you're going to fulfill your divinely given destiny, you are going to have stress. But when we depend on God, Moses was experiencing intense struggle, circumstantial with Pharaoh. I'm sure stress within himself just facing Pharaoh. Now you're going to see Moses facing additional relational stress. And relational stress is the very worst kind. I mean, you know, we, we, there's certain people we want to like us, love us. Truth be told, we want everybody to like and love us. But it hurts particularly when it's those that we are trying to do something for. Look, if you would, in Exodus once again, beginning in chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. So this is after the Israelites get the bad news from Pharaoh that they're going to have to give the same number of bricks but no more straw. Verse 20. When they, meaning the Israelite foremans, went out from Pharaoh, they encountered Moses and Aaron standing there to meet them. And they said to them, May the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink, I love it, stink in the opinion of Pharaoh and his servants, so that you have given them an excuse to kill us. So now Moses has this additional stress. The very people that he is there to help, he didn't want to be there. He didn't want to do anything. He was quite content where he was at. But he's there to help them, and now they are hotly angry at him. They're saying, you, you, life was, as if life wasn't bad enough, you've come here and you've made it worse for us. Thanks a lot, Moses. When I read that, I kind of laughed, and I thought back through my life. I mean, I, I've, been, I've been doing this stuff, leading churches now for 35 years, and I've done tons and tons and tons of counseling, and I don't want anybody to you know, be put off by this, but the truth is, sometimes when you counsel, not, not a lot, but sometimes when you counsel, you get these folks, they come in, and they're just like little lambs. They're like, oh, Randy, 
don't know what I'm going to do, man. I'm, we need help. I need help. We need help. I, please. We just, we're, we're in trouble, man. We do. We, I need your help. And so you start, you know, you start to help them. God's given you some gifts and abilities, and you start to help them. And then somewhere something changes, and they start fighting with you. It, it, it always gives me this picture in my mind. Have you ever seen the pictures of the people that are drowning? You know, they're like going down for the third time. And they're like, oh, help. Anybody, help, help. And so then the swimmer, you know, the swimmer goes out there. It gets right to him. And then as soon as that swimmer goes to put his hands on that person, what do they do? They, they, they try to climb up on their head and they shove you. You're trying to save them. They're trying to drown you. You become the enemy. <laughs> Thanks, Moses. Thanks. We were having a good life as slaves with our baby boys being drowned in the Nile. And you come and mess up our good thing. Not exactly. Not exactly, you know. Look on. You'll see how this affects Moses in verse 22. It says, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people, why did you ever send me? From the time I went to speak to Pharaoh in your name, he has caused trouble for his people, and you have certainly not rescued them. Now, this is interesting. Moses is saying, you know, God, I didn't want to do this to begin with. You're just making everything horrible. What? what? Short memory. Short memory. You see, his expectations should have been a little bit better. Bear with me. Let's go back to Exodus 3, and let's just check on something. In Exodus chapter 3, look at verse 18, and God is talking to Moses before he sends him. He says, look, Moses, this is the way this thing is going to go down. The elders, meaning the elders of Israel, the elders will listen to you, and then you and the elders of Israel must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, so now let us go three days' journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But... I know the king of Egypt will not let you go, not even under force. So I will extend my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders that I will do among them. And after that, he will release you. And of course, you guys know the wonders, the the ten plagues that God has to send to get Pharaoh to back up. Uh, And by the way, those plagues were very specific. They they were targeting 10 Egyptian deities to show that there's only one true God. The real creator is who they were dealing with. And so he showed that these other deities that the Egyptians were worshiping were were phony and fake. And so it was a favor to the Egyptians to awaken them. But the point is, God told Moses from the start, hey, listen, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. It's going to be a struggle. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be stressful. And I'm going to have to get really involved before this thing happens. But Moses seems to forget because he's maybe made to feel embarrassed or unliked or unloved or just uncomfortable and he's not had to feel that for a while can you accept that that sometimes when god's having his way in our lives we're going to feel uncomfortable inadequate stretched stressed and we're going to struggle I talked about interior struggle that's normative for every person that's put their trust in Christ and is his follower. Paul talks about it in his writing to the followers of Christ in Galatia. He says, what I say is this, let the Spirit, that is the Spirit of God, direct your lives. And the Spirit of God, by the way, directs our lives through the Word of God. We don't have the Word of God. The Spirit of God can't really direct us. It's just our crazy ideas directing us. So we need the Word of God in our heads before the Spirit of God can direct us. 
Let the Spirit of God direct your lives, and you will not satisfy the desires of the human nature. That word human nature, it's hard to translate. It's a Greek word, sarx. It's the idea of the, the old self, who we were, living apart from God, sense, uh, sense governed, time bound, driven by the fear of death. Uh, people that oriented their lives around self-preservation and self-gratification didn't know who we were, why we were here, what the meaning of life is, why is the world the way it is, where is he going, and where are we going. That's, that's what he means, that old human nature. And the old human nature, our self before returning to Christ, we develop coping systems. We develop ways to get along and get by. So he says, you, you can't do this. He says, direct, let the Spirit direct your lives, and you will not satisfy the desires, those old desires, those old coping systems. He goes on. For what our human nature wants is opposed to what the Spirit wants, and what the Spirit wants is opposed to what our human nature wants. That's that struggle we talked about earlier that we experience. These, are, these two are enemies, and this means that you cannot do what you want to do. This is healthy. When you experience this struggle inside, the Spirit of God using the Word of God to show you a different way of responding or acting in a given situation, and your old desires combating it, wanting to flare up and take you in a different direction, that's healthy. It shows that the Spirit of God is in you. You have trusted Christ, and because you trust Him, He not only forgives you, He gives His Spirit to dwell in us, and we were always meant to be indwelt by the Spirit of God, so that we could become those Christ-like beings we were meant to be. The minute you put your trust in Christ, the Scripture says we're baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. We're sealed by the Spirit as God's own possession. We are given gifts by the Holy Spirit to serve and minister. And so a lot of things orient around the Spirit. But, but one of the ways we know the Spirit's in us is this struggle, this, this stress. There's additional stress when you become a Christian on the inside, truth be told. Let me show you some more interior. Expect, we should expect emotional stress. And in the book of Colossians, Paul writing to followers of Jesus living in Colossae, he says, Dearly loved by God, so robe yourself with the virtues of God, since you have been divinely chosen to be holy. Be merciful as you, what does it say? Endeavor to what? Endeavor to understand others. I want to tell you, man, it's hard to understand people. How many agree with that? You agree? Yeah, I, I can't even understand myself half the time, much more understand somebody else. But here's the truth. If I don't try to understand somebody, chances are I'm not going to be able to stand them, so it's better to try to understand them so that I will stand them, right? Same with you. You might have somebody in your life right now, you, you don't understand them, and they're driving you nuts, but it's better to try to understand them so you can stand them. But that means stress. It's not an easy ride. Endeavor to understand others. And be compassionate, showing kindness toward all. Be gentle and humble. Listen to this one. What does it say? Unoffendable. I won't ask you to raise your hands if you're unoffendable. I know you're not. I can offend you quick and easy. <laughs> you can offend me quick and easy. But God wants to so work in us that we become unoffendable. That means I'm going to deal with stress inside. That means I'm going to feel that offense, but I'm saying, you know what? I'm not going to go there. Not going to go there unoffendable in your patience with others. It goes on, it asks even more. It says, tolerate, tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith. The irritating idiosyncrasies is what, kind of what it's saying. Tolerate them. They're stressful to do that. Forgiving one another. Now you're taking it too far. Now you have absolutely fouled me, sinned against me, wounded me, hurt me, but I'm supposed to just forgive you. That's stressful. Easy to talk about, very hard to do. You know it. 
In the same way you have been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ, if you find fault with someone, release this same gift of forgiveness to them. These are all part of our developmental uh, experience to become more Christ-like, but they are stressful. Let's be honest about this. But that's the message. You say we need to adjust our expectations. If you and I are going to do anything good for ourselves, good for God, you're going to have good relationships, you're going to have good friendships, you're going to have good family, you're going to have good kids, you're going to have good business, good life, then we, I, you, must accept struggle and stress. And they're not our enemies. They develop us. They strengthen us. They build us. Listen, the only reason we're standing here today talking about Moses is because Moses didn't run. You know what the truth is? That was the start of a 40-year experience for Moses. For the next 40 years, the new reality was daily struggle and daily stress. Read the story and you'll see. He had his hands full for 40 years. But why do we know about him? Why has God written about him? Why has God point to him after all these thousand years? Because... He accepted. When you're going to fulfill your divinely given destiny and you're going to try to bless another human being and rescue another human being and be Christ to another human being, you're going to have to struggle and you're going to have to experience stress. We'll close with something that might be a little unusual. Um, physical building project, the Panama Canal. Uh, most of us have probably heard of the Panama Canal. Some of us are geographically challenged. Probably don't know where it is. We get it confused with Panama Jack and Panama Canal. But they're different, trust me. One you put on, one you go through. Uh, so here's a picture of the Panama Canal. The Panama Canal, Panama Canal is 51 miles long. And it's right between North America and South America, if that helps geographically. It used to be the ships that were going from the Atlantic to the Pacific had to go all the way around South America, the tip of South America, 7,800 miles out of the way to then get to the Pacific Ocean. So some guy back in 1882 had an idea. He says, hey, why don't we just cut a hole through here? And they can just zip right on through and avoid the 7,800-mile, you know, detour. So the French, in 1882, started on the Panama Canal. It took 32 years to complete it. Now, in 1904, the Americans took over. You know, the French don't finish stuff half the time. But, but that's, that's another thing. <laughs> just being French. Uh, so, <laughs> for all the French that I've offended, you read, you've got to forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> He is a fool, Lord. Forgive him. <laughs> I actually had a French lady that came through. At the end. It was her first time here, and I offended her. She wasn't offended. She thought it was charming. Uh. <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit about this, this canal. So, so right now, nearly 15,000 ships go through this thing every year. Avoiding that 7,800-mile trip. And, and it brings tremendous blessing. Lots of goods are moved to people in need. And, and it just brings blessings to thousands and thousands of people that don't know anything about what it took to build this thing. Let me just build here again. 32 years it took. And there were 75,000 workers. 6,000 of them constantly were just dynamiting rock and land masses. They, they used 60 million tons of dynamite. Out of the workforce of 75,000, 28,000, a little over one-third, they died struggling with this project. They died of malaria. They died of yellow fever. They died of every kind of accident imaginable. But they gave it everything so that someone else might be blessed ultimately 
It was a, a very difficult struggle, I'm sure, full of extraordinary stresses to the people that went through it. And the people that now enjoy it probably don't think much of it. What I'm urging you to do is adjust your expectations for the big developmental journey, this life that God wants for you and for me. Find out what it is that he's calling you to do along with who it is he's calling you to be, which you know. And accept from this moment on, life, if I'm doing it right, should be a struggle. That'll change some of your relationships right there. You've been, you've been thinking if it's a struggle, it can't be right. If it's not a struggle, there's something wrong. You've been, you've been thinking that certain relationships, certain experiences uh, are wrong because they're stressful. I'm urging you, adjust your expectations. They're stressful because they're probably right. You're probably right in the right place, the right time, the right person. You just got to get a little bit built up by enduring the stress until you get some resilience. Now, it's possible that some of us are here, and we just need to take some time, get along with God, and we need, to, we need to work this thing through, man, and try to adjust our expectations about struggle and about stress. Others of us, though, the truth be told, the reason that we're, we're constantly in struggle, constantly in stress, is because we have not returned to our Creator. We don't know who we are while we're here. We don't know how to live. We're just pursuing our own uh, self-survival and self-gratification, and we just keep colliding with the, the principles of life, and we don't even know why. So your struggle and your stress is because you need to return to Christ, your Creator, and learn the way that He designed you to live. And when you do, He receives you with arms open wide, forgives your sins, gives you the gift of everlasting life in His kingdom, and then starts to teach you and train you the truth about Himself and about how life is meant to be lived. So I don't know who each of us are, but we all have some thoughts on this and some decisions to make. But I, I just pray that your hearts, while they're tender, you'll... You'll open yourself for some things that I've shared today that I know are not comfortable. Let's pray. We thank you, our God, that you illustrate through the life of this man, Moses, that, that even that which we would run from struggles and stress, you, when we depend on you, when we stay faithful to you, you use these to build us to become who we were meant to become and to bring blessing to multiple others that we could never even dream of. We pray that you'll give us wisdom and strength now to make wise decisions. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.